You are listening to audio from Pastor Mark Driscoll. To find more helpful content like this, as well as daily devotions, Ask Pastor Mark videos, resources for leaders, and much more, visit markdriscoll.org. While there, you can also make a donation that will help support the ministry and subscribe to continue getting Bible-based teaching. If you live in or are visiting the greater Phoenix Valley, please feel free to come and see Pastor Mark at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. All right, we are in John chapter 1 today, starting right in verse 35. And the big idea is start with Jesus to understand God's will for your life. And I want to just consider this with you for a moment. Here we are, we're, we're here on a Sunday, the day of Jesus' resurrection. We're a Christian church. There are Christians meeting all around the world. Christianity is the biggest movement and the longest standing movement of any sort or kind in the history of the world. There is nothing as big as the church of Jesus Christ. A few billion people on earth today are followers of Jesus, nations, languages, tribes, tongues, and types of people. It is massive. There's nothing that compares to the church. But then the question I want to ponder today is, where did it all start? How did it begin? It's amazing when something is so significant, how it begins in such a simple way. And so what we find ourselves studying today as we just walk verse by verse through John's gospel for the duration of this year, we look at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. We see him calling his first followers, students, or disciples. We see a very humble man, Jesus, beginning a very humble ministry that is Christianity of which we are a part. And so usually I like to walk verse by verse. What I want to do today, I want to read this whole section together, uh, verse 35 through verse 51 in chapter 1, and then we're going to look at some specific sections of that scripture. So let's just read it together. John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, John, that's John the baptizer. There are about nine Johns in the New Testament. This is John the baptizer was standing with two of his disciples. It's going to be Andrew and I think John the Beloved. And he was looking at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him saying this, and they followed Jesus. The story continues. They turned, uh, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? What do you want? What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Can we go hang out with you? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Most commentators think that's around 4 p.m. Let's hang out and do dinner together. One of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Brother, He was first, uh, first disciple. He found uh, his brother Peter uh, and Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is the Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. I don't know, it just kind of struck me. It's kind of weird. You meet a guy for the first time hey, your name is no longer that. I'm changing your name. That's a big deal, amen? How many of you, first time you meet somebody, hi, my name's Tony. No, it's not. From now on, you're Hank. We just met, interesting. Apparently this guy thinks he's in charge, gonna make a decision here. Uh, Then the next day, They decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That dumpy, rural, hick town. Really, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? 
How do you know me? Jesus said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see even greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, or amen, amen. I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. That's the account of the early ministry of Jesus. How does it all start? They come to Jesus, he gathers his first few followers. And what he doesn't do is he doesn't unveil to them his whole plan. I think in part, it might've been a little overwhelming. Jesus, what's the plan? It's like, well, let's see. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go water skiing without a boat. And then I'm gonna cast some demons out of people. I'm gonna fight with religious guys. Ultimately, uh, they're gonna crucify me, but I'm gonna come back. And then guys with frosted tips and deep V-necks playing guitar are gonna be singing songs about me in stadiums. That's where we're going. I think that would have been a bit much. So instead, and all that happened, it's all true. And, And so what happens instead, Jesus, says something very simple, just follow me. That's where it starts. So the first big idea is this, is is come and see ministry. Some of you are Christians and you know you should be doing ministry. But when you think of ministry, you think of doing what I'm doing, right? Think of what, let me just say this. One of me is probably too much. We don't need any more. Okay, that's just what I'll tell you. What, What most people do for ministry is not study and teach and argue and debate and write. Much ministry for most of God's people is gonna be very simply this. You're living a life as a Christian and inviting other people to come and have a relationship and do life with you. That's, that's ministry at its purest, simplest form. That's where Jesus starts. And so what he says is, come and you will see, John 139, John 146, come and see. He doesn't say, let's argue about this. Let's debate this. Read these 27 books and I'll give you a test. What he says is, let's start with this. Come hang out with me. It's almost dinner time. Let's just work on the relationship. You need to know that the kingdom of God is largely just relational. Certain people just get to know each other, doing life together, building relationships and friendships. Let me talk about come and see ministry. And this is something that you can do. It's something that we can all do. Um, When I was in college, some of you know my story, there were a few families that practiced come and see ministry with Grace and I, and they changed our entire life course. So some of you know my story. I went to college as a non-Christian. Grace bought me a Bible. I became a Christian reading the Bible. And now it's like, okay, I got to find a church. I've told you before, the scary part of finding a church is you're afraid you're going to end up in a a cult. And you don't know you're in a cult till the last day. That's one of the big problems with a cult. You're like, I'm going to church, free white shoes. I love white shoes. I love Kool-Aid. I hope I don't drop the Kool-Aid on my white shoes. Oh, I'm in a cult. I didn't know that. I just thought I was going to church. So I'm a, I'm a 19 year old kid and I'm thinking, oh man, I don't want to join a cult where I end up, you know, part of somebody's harem. So anyways, I uh, shouldn't have said that. We'll edit it out. It was inappropriate. Um, and it'll happen again in just a moment. Nonetheless, I, uh, I found a church where the guy taught through the Bible and I thought, well, this is good. He's teaching the Bible. And the people were of all ages and life stages and there were adults in the room. It was kind of like Trinity. It was a great church family. And so I thought, okay, that's cool. So I kept going there. And then I met this family because I knew I wanted to marry Grace, okay? She's, she's the girl I couldn't live without. And I knew we were gonna have kids. We wanted to have a large family. So I'm thinking, I don't know what I'm doing. I gotta find somebody who's married with kids and I gotta bird dog them. I gotta learn from them. 
So there's this one guy, he's really tall, easy to see. He's got a wife who looks very happy. He's got a great personality, fun to hang out with. Everybody likes him. Knows his Bible really well. One of those old guys with a beat up Bible. If you, let me just tell you young guys, you find an old guy with a beat up Bible, start asking him questions, okay? So what happens is uh, I approach him. He's got a lot of kids. Before it's all said and done, this family had 12 children, wow. 10 daughters, Two sons who never went to the bathroom in the house their entire life. Because this family only had one bathroom. So these, these boys were outside a lot. So I thought this, this family must know something about marriage and parenting. Um, so I approached him and I'm like, I'd like to get married. I'd like to be a dad someday. You seem to have a nice wife. Apparently you guys have a good relationship. These kids keep showing up. Um, and so you know, can I learn from you? Is there a good book to read? And he's like, I don't know. He said, why don't you just come over for dinner? Come and see. I'm in college. I'm thinking, this is amazing. All I'm eating is cafeteria food at this point. I'd already put on 10 pounds as a freshman. And, uh, and, and I said to Grace, I said, hey, they'll have us over for dinner. She had transferred out to be at my college at that point. I said, they'll have us over for dinner. This is a married couple inviting college students over for dinner. This never happens. So we went. And we showed up, they're at the edge of town, down a little driveway, out toward kind of an open field. They're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And we show up in their little house and we walk in and it was a little piece of the kingdom of God. They loved each other. They're having fun. They're not a weird family. They're a fun family. Kids are in a good mood, helping with dinner, setting the table. Everybody's getting along. And I thought, oh, this is actually a really wonderful place to be. This is a really wonderful family. And so then we sit down for dinner and uh, the kids are sitting on each side of me. I think it was little girls. And they each grabbed my hand, lifted it up, and they all started singing a song. And I, I, I didn't know the song. And nobody wants to hear this voice. So I just, I just sort of took it in. I was like, well, this is different. These, they're singing. Like, I'm, I, this is a Von Trapp meal. This is amazing. <laughs> and so, uh, and then they all pray. And it was heartfelt. And it wasn't super. And then the kids are, you know, they got a personality. And they're having fun. Everybody's laughing. Getting along. I was like, well, this was really fun. Nice dinner conversation. And the kids help pick up dinner. And then we're playing games and visiting. And board games are out. And having a good time. And I just remember thinking, this is great. What a great family. And then the kids get their pajamas on. And they come out. And the little girl brings out her little kid's Bible. And hands it to the parents. And, hey, could you read us Bible stories? So they read the Bible stories. And the kids are dressing up and acting it out. And it's a big playtime and super fun. And then they all pray together. And then the kids go to bed. And I remember getting in the truck with Grace thinking, that was awesome. That was awesome. Like, every kid should grow up in that environment. That was awesome. We've stayed in touch with this family. They now have... I know it's going to shock you, a couple of grandkids. And, uh, and they love the Lord. The kids love the Lord. It's still a loving, close family. Our kids have now gotten to know their kids. We've stayed in a relationship over more than 20 years. Beautiful, wonderful, joyful, godly family. Come and see. There's a lot of things that you can't learn unless you're there to observe and experience. You can read in a book certain things, but you can't really understand how to do them until or unless you see someone else do them. This family was a huge gift to us. So we decided uh, they need a date. These people need a break. So we just told them, hey, we'll watch your kids every Friday. You guys can go on date night. We'll babysit for free. And if you're single, let me tell you this, practice on other people's kids. That's crucial. 
Okay, because you're going to make mistakes. You want it to be in their kids, and then they can fix it. If you do it with your kids, there's no lifeguard on duty. Your kids are going to end up just broken and really weird, okay? So, so what you got to do, you got to practice on their kids. That's what I always tell the single people. Go to children's ministry, practice on other people's children. And I'll just tell you single guys, too. There's a lot of nice gals back there that love children, and you could marry them and have children. That's just something to pray about. So, hey, look, we're both here. We both like kids. There's a premarital class starting. Must be the Lord's will. Here we are. Okay, so just something to pray about. So anyways, we decided we're going to start babysitting their kids on Friday night. You guys need a date. So we would come watch the kids and do dinner with the kids and pray with the kids. And we got to learn from the come and see ministry of the family. And they later told us that they were so broken, so tired, and so tired of all the noise in their home that what they would do for date night, they would go to the hospital because it was quiet and the coffee was free and there were newspapers and they would just sit in the waiting room for a few hours saying nothing, just drinking coffee, reading the newspaper. That's what they did, okay? So we watched their kids every Friday. Well, apparently they did that free date until we graduated and then God called us away. And we really wanted to stay because we love this church so much. And uh, they were our last stop on the way out of town. Grace and I, I had my pickup truck all loaded. We pulled down their driveway to say goodbye to this lovely family and their, at the time, little children. And I will never forget, they, they said goodbye to us, told us they loved us. The kids walked us out to the truck. And I kid you not, as we're driving away, I've got the windows rolled down and I sprung a leak. Um, I just couldn't stop crying. I heard the little girls all singing as we drove away, may God bless you and keep you. Oh my goodness. Okay, come and see. Come and see. Come and see. Some of you, you may think, well, I don't have anything to teach anybody. You may not understand how much God has already done in your life. You may not understand how different your life is because of Jesus from the way that other people live their life. If they see a husband and wife holding hands, praying, if they see people forgiving one another, if they see them actually blessing their children and kissing them instead of hitting them, that is all the kingdom of God showing up and showing off and it's come and see ministry to let others see that. There was a second couple in our college years. Um, I was in a philosophy class at a state university, which is the least likely place to learn about Jesus. Amen? I mean, this is the anti-Jesus department. And so what happened was, shouldn't have said that either, but it's all true. Nonetheless, I... uh, I'm taking a philosophy class as a brand new Christian at a state university. The professor gets up and he basically says, on every issue, I'm going to give you a Christian philosopher, a non-Christian philosopher. I want you to get both sides of the issues and I want you to consider it wholeheartedly. And I thought, well, that's different. And one of the kids raised his hand. He's like, well, what do you believe? And he said, well, thank you for asking. I'm a Christian. I believe in the Bible and I love Jesus. I thought, you're like a unicorn. I've heard of you, but I didn't know you were real. I didn't know you were real. You're a philosophy professor at a state university with a PhD who loves Jesus and believes the Bible. That's amazing. And he said, and so if you guys have any questions, I'm happy to meet privately. And my wife and I love to have students over to our house. If you want to talk privately, we'll have you over for dinner and just work on the friendship. I thought, no, I never had a professor say, want to come over to my house? I thought, that's amazing. So I went up to him after, I was like, I'm a new Christian. He's like, come on over for dinner. I said, well, I got a a gal I really like. He's like, bring her. She can meet my wife. Okay, we go over. He's got a PhD. She's got a PhD. They love Jesus, believe the Bible, have an adorable little daughter. And for the next few years, he taught me philosophy and mentored me and helped answer all my questions. 
Come and see. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see. Who's invited you into their life? Who can you invite into your life? Sometimes it's very simply, why don't you come to church with me? Why don't you come to church with me? Hey, why don't you come to life group with me? There's some really great people. You need relationship. Um, Hey, why don't you come over for dinner? Hey, why don't our kids get together and play? Hey, why don't we grab a cup of coffee? Hey, I got tickets. Why don't we go watch the game? Come and see. Come and see. Some of you don't understand that the life that you live is so appealing and compelling. And the people that have not tasted and seen that the Lord is good, right, they are starving for hope. And so I'll give you one more uh, story on this point. Some years ago, there was a gal that became a Christian. She was a teenager. Uh, she was part of our previous ministry, and Grace and the kids had a heart for her. She came from a difficult home. Um, and so they would pick her up, take her to church, take her home. One day we were going to drop her off and the kids were just like, hey, why don't you just come to our house and have dinner with us? So they invited her over to dinner. She's already in the car. Yeah, we'll take you, come on over to dinner. So she comes over to dinner and hangs out with the kids. We sit down at the dining room table and like we do as a family and Grace made an amazing meal. And we're sitting there like we, we pray and hey, any thankful prayers? What are you guys thankful for this week? And what's God teaching you? And we're just having fun and joking and eating. And this gal is sitting off, to my right, and she's very quiet, and she seems very ill at ease. And I looked at her, and I said, uh, are, are you okay? Is there something wrong? She said, no, everything's fine. She said, I just, I just feel really weird. I said, why is that? She said, I've never sat at a table and had a meal with a family in my whole life. I said, you've got a mom and a dad, and you've got siblings. She said, yeah, and we've never, we've never sat at a table and had a meal together. She said, we'll grab food different times, eat in our room, watch TV. I said, Thanksgiving, Christmas, birthday? She said, never. Never sat down and just saw a family have a meal. And she said, and then when you guys prayed, she said, I have never seen a family ever pray together in my whole life. She said, so I I like it. She said, it's just weird for me and I'm trying to figure it out. You know what that is? Come and see. Ministry is come and see. Jesus' ministry starts with come and see. Come and see. Come and see. Then, as Jesus is calling the disciples to himself, that means follower of him, what I want you to see is my next point. Firstly, that Jesus is the only path to salvation. Okay, we're going to learn this in John 14, 6, a little further down the, the book. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So the only way to heaven, the only path to heaven is Jesus. But there are many paths to Jesus. Not many paths to heaven, only one path to heaven, that's Jesus. But many paths to Jesus. What you're gonna learn here as we study this is the, what we call the testimony of different people. Meaning, how did you get to Jesus? And, or I should say this way, how did Jesus get to you? Okay, so I wanna look at these people. The first is a guy named John the Baptizer. He's technically not one of Jesus' disciples, but these other people that are the beginning of Jesus' ministry are largely gathered by John and then given by John to Jesus, okay? John the Baptizer is the greatest man in the history of the world, Jesus says, 
And he is part of Jesus' extended family. You may not know this. Some of you may have studied Jesus or his ministry. I want to pull back and reveal something to you that Jesus' ministry was largely possible because of his family. And that family should do ministry. That ultimately family should do ministry. So what you have is you have a guy named Zachariah. That's Jesus' uncle. He's a priest. That's like a rural pastor. He has an aunt named Elizabeth. She comes from generations of priests. She comes from a ministry family. So his aunt and uncle are generations ministry family. They raise his cousin, John the baptizer, who's maybe six months older than Jesus. John grows up to be a preacher and proclaimer and preparer of the way of Jesus. He gathers his early followers. He is a very significant historical figure. His ministry only lasts a few months until they behead him. And he hands his followers to Jesus. Jesus' ministry is literally built on the beginning of John's ministry. In addition, we see a little bit later, the early 120 disciples in the opening of the book of Acts includes Jesus' own mother, Mary, who's part of the early church doing ministry. Jesus' two brothers, James and Jude, write books of the Bible bearing their name. They are pastors. They take James up to the top of the temple history records. They throw him down, he doesn't die, so they stone him to death. And he dies a martyr's death doing ministry out of devotion to his brother. And then they need to replace him. And history outside of the Bible says they chose another one of Jesus' brothers, a guy named Simon or Simeon, which historian you prefer will pronounce it differently. Here's my big idea. Jesus' ministry is largely, if not entirely dependent on his family. Aunt, uncle, crazy cousin, uh, mom, uh, brothers, the whole family serving in ministry. Here's what I want you to know. The kingdom of God is largely relational. The lot of what is ministry and life on the earth is family relationships, working relationships. A lot of what we see here are those two networks. It's family network. It's vocational network. It's who your family is and who's in your orbit of work. And God works through those relationships because the kingdom of God is largely relational. So we see with John the baptizer, I just love his humility. He says, Jesus must increase, I must decrease. Hey guys, I got you all together and now I'm gonna give you to Jesus because the whole point is to follow him, not to follow me. He has this great attitude that people don't belong to him, they belong to Jesus. People don't belong to pastors. They don't belong to churches. They don't belong to denominations. Ultimately, people belong to Jesus and he can send them wherever he wants and he scatters his people as he needs. And John understands that and sends his people to follow Jesus. So then Jesus comes along and starts gathering these early leaders as the beginning of the movement of Christianity. The first guy's Andrew. Andrew is first on the list. He is brother to a guy named Peter. You heard of that guy? Andrew goes and gets Peter. So Andrew meets Jesus like, I'll be right back. I got your, hey, Peter, big brother, tag, you're it. Come on. How many of you, that was your story? Somebody in your family met Jesus and they came and got you. They drug you to youth group, brought you to church, bought you a Bible. You're like, the way I got to Jesus, my sibling, my mom, my dad, my relative, my family member got there first and they brought me. That's Andrew. Andrew also works in a fishing business with two other guys, James and John. They're coworkers. So Andrew becomes the guy, he brings his brother and he brings his coworkers. How many of you, you came to Jesus because of somebody you met through work? They're like, you wanna come to church with me? 
no, I don't. And they asked again. They're like, okay, I'll do it. You show up and you're like, okay, now I'm in. That's the story of Andrew. He's a gatherer. He invites coworkers and family members. Here's the thing I love about Andrew. He's really quite humble. He brings Peter. He's first. Peter's his big brother. Between Peter and Andrew, who really gets the lion's share of attention after that fact? Is Peter the dominant personality or is Andrew? It's Peter. The disciples are listed. Peter is always listed first because God believes in order and hierarchy and chain of command and authority. And it goes Peter, James and John, and then Andrew, okay? Peter, James and John are the inner circle of three. They are the first ring of leadership. Andrew's in the next ring. He's in, the, he's in position number four. He's okay with that. He's humble about that. He doesn't say, I was here first, Peter, I brought you. None of that. He's just willing to serve in a more quiet way. How many of you are loud mouths like Peter and Pastor Mark? How many of you are more loud mouths like that? How many of you are more like Andrew? You're more like, I'm relational. I invite people. I connect people. I'm not the person up front. I'm the person that gets a lot of other things done relationally. That's more Andrew. He preaches for some 20 plus years, according to history outside of the Bible. He apparently preached all the way to Russia and Greece. So if you go to Russia or Greece today, their patron saint is this guy, Andrew. Furthermore, they went to crucify him. And rather than nailing him to a cross as they did Jesus, they tied him to more of a cross that is shaped like an X. So to this day, this is called St. Andrew's cross. He hung there for a few days until he died a martyr's death. That being said, what happens as well, that symbol is now part of the Scottish flag. If you're Scottish and you've seen the the Scottish seal or flag or emblem, it has Andrew's cross. There's a place in Scotland in his tribute called St. Andrew's. That's where one of the big golf events is. One of the oldest English speaking universities in the world is St. Andrew's. All of this is to this guy. Here's what I'm saying. I know I'm excited and I I apologize for waking you up, but it's just crazy because somebody can meet Jesus and their whole life pivots. You're like, I didn't know they were going to do that. I didn't know they were going to be that. I didn't know God was going to use them for that. You just never know what happens when somebody meets Jesus. They become a new person. They get a new life. They get a new power. They get a new destiny. They leave a new legacy. That's what Jesus does. That's the story of Andrew. Next guy on the list is John the Beloved. He's not named in John chapter one because he's the author of the book. So when he shows up in the story, he doesn't name himself because he's humble. Others be like, well, I was there and I cast out the demon. You're welcome. My name is John. I'm very humble. He doesn't tell us about his achievements or accomplishments. He's humble. So he doesn't name himself, but John the Beloved is included and he's relationally connected to Andrew. John the beloved is the youngest of the disciples. All the other disciples die. He's the last living, highest spiritual authority in the earth. He writes first, second, and third John, the gospel of John that we're in this year and the book of Revelation. He is a powerful, significant leader and everything you need to know about him, you see at the cross of Jesus. Jesus is being crucified, dying in our place as our substitute for our sins. He looks down and there's his mom. How many of you are moms? Moms? Okay, you're firstborn. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten fingers, ten toes. You love your kid. Your kid loves the Lord. You got great visions for their future. And now you're in shock because your kid is being crucified openly, shamefully, publicly. 
the 10 fingers and 10 toes, they now have railroad spikes driven through them. And you're looking. Oftentimes people were crucified at eye level. You're looking at the face of your firstborn beloved son crucified. There's Mary. Jesus, while he's hanging, looks and says, John, take care of my mom. That tells me everything I need to know about John. Amen? John, I love my mom. Take care of my mom. That's John the Beloved. Five times in John's gospel, it says that he is the one whom Jesus loved. That's Jesus' nearest and dearest earthly earthly friend. Peter, Andrew's brother, he's a loud mouth. He's impetuous. He's a fisherman. he's, He's never heard these words, inner dialogue. He's never heard that. He's just, he's just going to tell you what's up, man. He starts off as a bit of a coward, but he changes because Jesus changes people. He goes on to be a very bold preacher. He writes First and Second Peter, two books of the Bible. He is always listed first as the leader of the disciples. History outside of the Bible records that they came to Peter and said, you deny Jesus or we're going to kill you. He said, kill me. They said, we're going to crucify you. He said, crucify me. He said, but you know what? I'm not worthy to die like Jesus. If you're going to crucify me, crucify me upside down. That's that's who Peter is. This powerful, bold, transformed person. And it starts with, hey, why don't you come hang out with Jesus and uh, let's do dinner together. The next guy on the list is uh, Philip. We don't know a whole lot about Philip. Jesus just comes and says, follow me, and he does. He apparently knows Greek. He preaches to the Greeks, leads a lot of Greek speakers to Christ. Some historians say that he made it all the way to France, and his preaching ministry lasted about 20 years. And we don't know a lot about him other than he was faithful. Some people are going to get a lot of attention. Some people are not going to get much attention, but they're just as significant in the kingdom of God. And then the last guy is Nathaniel, who's a little bit interesting because as he comes along, he's, he's a guy who has this kind of interesting conversation with Jesus. Jesus, where are you from? I'm from Nazareth. He's like, can anything good come from Nazareth? It's a little bit of a thing, right? It's a little bit of, it's like, really? That's, how many of you on your way to California or Mexico, you're like, I got to go to the bathroom. I need a corn dog and there's a lot of bugs on my windshield. I have three problems that need to be solved. And you drive by a town that exists only to meet those three needs. That's it. You're like, what do you guys have here? Well, our economic uh, income is based on three things, a bathroom, a corn dog, and a squeegee. That's all we got here in this town. There's not much here. You pull over, it's one of those dumpy rural pass-through towns. That was Nazareth. So Nathaniel kind of, he's like, can anything good come from Nazareth? Jesus actually commends him. And he says, here is an Israelite in whom there is no guile. What he's saying is this, I like Nathaniel because he's overt. There are two kinds of people. Some are covert, some are overt. Nathaniel is overt. He tells you exactly what he's thinking. You know exactly what he's thinking. Peter, would you say overt or covert? Overt. Every once in a while you're like, tuck that in. You know, it's just too much. Now, there's another guy who's going to join the team in a little bit. His name is Judas Iscariot. Is he covert or is he overt? He's very covert. He's stealing money from Jesus for three years. 
He's plotting against Jesus. He's scheming against Jesus. If you were to see all the disciples together, you would say, well, they all believe the same thing because they are under the same teacher. They've joined the same ministry. They're committed to the same mission. No, they're not. Because the covert one doesn't agree, doesn't believe and isn't following. But he's very secretive. He's very sneaky. He's very um, dishonest about that. That's Judas. Jesus commends Nathaniel in this text because he is one who is overt. And Jesus says, you know what? There's no guile in you. Here's what I like about you, Nathaniel. You're just honest and forthcoming and we can work with that. Now, this guy, Nathaniel, comes to a relationship with Jesus in the way that the others didn't, okay? So here's what I want you to see. They're all with Jesus and they all got there in different ways. How did you get here? I don't know, I was out for a walk, I bumped into Jesus. How did you get here? Well, my brother came and brought me. Well, how did you get here? Well, I work with that guy and he brought us both. How did you get here? Jesus called me, he asked me to come. How did you get here? I got a miracle, that's what Nathaniel got. Nathaniel comes to Jesus and Jesus is like, I know you. Nathaniel's like, I never met you, who are you? Jesus says, no, 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 I know what you were doing right before this, what was I doing? You're out in the middle of nowhere, all by yourself, under a fig tree, thinking about Genesis 28, where God is in heaven and there's somebody on earth and there's a ladder and the angels of God ascend and descend up and down the ladder. That's what you're thinking about all by yourself under the fig tree. And I know who you are. I know what you were thinking. And the one you were thinking about is me. I'm here. Nathaniel's like, what? How did you know I was under the fig tree? How did you know what I was thinking? Jesus is like, that's what I do. You want to join my team? And Nathaniel's like, for sure. So he joins the team. Here's what I'm saying. Everybody's got a different testimony, right? That is, how did you meet Jesus? How did you get to Jesus? How did you start following Jesus? All the testimonies are equally great. Some of you, you're just gonna meet Jesus. Others of you, he's gonna call you. Some of you, family's gonna drag you. Others of you, coworkers are gonna invite you. Most of us are gonna come to Jesus very naturally. I don't know, my grandma took me to church and then I love Jesus, I don't know. Some of you are gonna come to Jesus in supernatural, remarkable, inexplicable ways. That's the, the story of Nathaniel. You're like, an angel showed up. I had a dream, I had a vision, I got healed. Let me just say this. Sometimes in Christianity, we make people feel bad about their testimony. How many of you have a boring testimony? Really boring testimony, right? And you were the kid, you're like, yeah, I love Jesus. And one time I didn't go to bed on time, but other than that, I've been a pretty good kid. <laughs> and then they brought me to youth group and they brought a kid up and this kid was like, I ate my dad after I stabbed him in the eye. And then they sent me to prison and I shanked a guy when I was 11. Now I met Jesus and I had a crusade in a stadium and Billy Graham called and said, I did a very good job. And then the, the, the homeschool kids are like, that's a really good testimony. I should stab my dad in the eye. Shank some people. Right? No, it's, it's okay. None of this should have been said. But, uh, but how many of you have heard, they bring up on the stage the testimony and hear the testimony, you're like, ah, oh, I don't even have a testimony. <laughs> that Bin Laden kid, he killed it uh, with his testimony. Okay, so <laughs> how many of your parents want your kids to have a boring testimony? Amen? Oh, all the hands went up really quick. All of a sudden it was a room for all Pentecostals like, whoop, both hands up. 
There, a boring testimony is fantastic. I want my kids to have a boring testimony. Yeah, we love Jesus and we still love him and we're going to love him forever. I want a boring, there's nothing wrong with a boring testimony, right? You ever been to rehab? No. Yay! That's what your parents are thinking. Don't feel bad about your testimony. Amen? This is fun. This is my job. This is amazing. Okay, so... So this is all of their testimony. Some of them are pretty normal. Some of them are supernatural and really extraordinary. Just be happy that you got to Jesus. Here's the big idea. They all got there different ways, but they all got to Jesus. All that matters is you're with Jesus. Amen? Amen. I mean, that's all that matters. They're with Jesus. That's, that's all that matters. Well, Nathaniel, he probably preached in India, Turkey, ancient Armenia by the Soviet Union today. He was crucified. He finished strong. It doesn't matter where you begin. It matters where you end. It doesn't matter how you got there. It just matters who you're rolling with. That's the big idea. Jesus is the path to heaven, but there are many paths to Jesus. All right. That being said, let's move to the next section. Jesus is looking for followers. Jesus says, John 1, and he's going to say it more than once, follow me. Follow me. What, is, what does that mean? Well, firstly, it means Jesus doesn't follow you. Some of you are frustrated with Jesus because he stinks at following. You're like, Jesus, come on. She needs to date me. And he's like, nope, that's not where we're going. You're just telling Jesus, Jesus, this is my job. Come on, give me this job. Jesus is like, I, I don't follow well. Some of you are frustrated. You, you, some of you are frustrated with Jesus. You're like, Jesus, you follow terribly. He's be like, yeah, it's because I'm the leader. Uh, I don't follow you. This is one of the keys to Christianity. I'm going to let you in a little secret. You're not in charge. You're not going to die and give an account to a mirror. Here I am. It's not going to go like that. Right? You're not, to be a Christian is you're not the one in charge. You're not the leader. You're the, you're the follower. You're the follower. Jesus is the leader. He's the authority. So what does it mean to follow me? That's what Jesus is saying. Follow me. What this is, this is not just believing in Jesus, but it's following Jesus. Some of you have been told, oh, you're fine. You believe in Jesus. It's great to believe in Jesus and then for the rest of your life to follow him. One of my first funerals, I was, this was like 20 years ago, senior pastor. I was young. I didn't know what I was doing. Guy dies and they're like, come to the funeral. I show up and there's another pastor they want us to co-officiate. He's an older guy. So I'm like, well, what are you going to say? He's like, well, I'm going to tell him, you know, the guy went to heaven, you know, reassure him all, make him feel good. I was like, really? Did you know this guy? I mean, <laughs> I, I'm not ready to put this guy in heaven. I'll just say that, right? I'm not. I'm just, okay. And so the guy's like, well, the other pastor, he's like, so what are you going to do? Tell him all he's in hell? I was like, okay, probably not, you know, um, <laughs> I can't put him in heaven. I can't put him in hell. Um, Jesus decides who goes to heaven and who goes to hell, right? Because as a pastor, my job is not to play duck, duck, dam. That's not my job. (laughs) So I don't play duck, duck, dam. It's not my job. I said, but here's the deal. I said, why would you tell everybody that this guy died and went to heaven? He's like, because when he was a kid, you know, when he was a baby, he was baptized. When he was a little kid, he prayed a prayer, uh, said he believed in Jesus. I said, yeah, but after that, following Jesus, I didn't see, there's not one step that we're aware of. 
This guy didn't use the Lord's name unless it was in vain and he hit his thumb with a hammer, right? This is a guy who didn't own a Bible, never went to church, never prayed, wouldn't have anything to do with God. He was a surly, mean, very unhappy guy. He never told his kids about the Lord, never took his kids, like nothing. And he, he died 60 years after he prayed the prayer. So I said, I don't think I could put the guy in hell, but I don't want to get up and say, he's in heaven and you're all fine. I said, because there may be some people here who are thinking the same thing. Like as long as one time I rub the lucky rabbit's foot and tap my head three times and said, amen, then I get to go to heaven. That's superstition. That's not relationship. I said, so what I want to tell people is, hey, guys, someday you're going to die and make sure that you're following Jesus so that that last step is the best step. And you get to enter into God's eternal kingdom. And the only way to really feel certain about that day is to be following him every day along the way. Well, the guy didn't agree. He gets up, he's like, well, we know he's in heaven now and y'all have nothing to worry about. Now Mark has something to share. I was like, yeah, this is what Mark has to share. Right, just, here's what I wanna tell you. If you're not following Jesus, you should be concerned, okay? Now, I'm not saying you're going to hell. I'm not saying you're going to heaven. That's above my pay grade. Jesus makes those decisions. But those who are walking with Jesus, following Jesus in relationship with Jesus should have an assurance that others do not have. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, it's very practical. It's Jesus, where do you want me to work? Who do you want me to marry? What do you want me to do? Where, where do you want me to live? You know, what do you want me to study? Like it's Jesus, I'm following you. Where do you want me to go? And what sin is, sin is where we're going somewhere that Jesus isn't leading us, right? So some of you are single. You're in a relationship you shouldn't be in. You're like, I like her, she's hot. And I'd say, so's hell, you know, so... <laughs> You know, so is hell. It's something to pray about. But it's like, well, did Jesus lead you into this relationship? No, but I'm, I'm telling him, come on, Jesus, join the relationship. And Jesus is like, that's not where I'm leading you. That's not, that's not what I'm leading you to do. Following Jesus is very practical. Let me say this too. We like to say that at the Trinity Church, the key to following Jesus is for every one of you to figure out what's my next step. Jesus says, follow me. The Bible uses the language a lot of walking with the Lord. Same thing. Some of you, it's, I need to buy a Bible. First step. I have a Bible. I need to find it. <laughs> I need to find it and then open it. All right? And not just write damnation on the cover in the dust. Okay. Uh, some of you, it's like, I need to pray because I really don't talk to the Lord. I need to pray. Some of you, it's like, I need to just figure out what church I'm gonna be in and just park myself there and grow. Some of you, I need to get in a life group and do life with other people and start to live in relationship. Some of you, you're like, there's issues in my life that I really need to dig into the Bible and learn because those are pain points presently. Some of you, it's financially, I need to start giving and learn to be generous and steward my resources under the Lord. Some of you, it's I need to invite others to come and see and and not just live a personal relationship with Jesus, but invite others to be in relationship with me as I'm in relationship with him. I don't know what, here's my thing. I don't know what your next step is. But I know for every one of God's children, there is always a next step, amen? amen. There's always a next step. And even after the first service, I had somebody come up and they're like, 
I figured out my next step. I said, great, what is it? They're like, I want to buy a Bible and start reading it. That's amazing. I had somebody else come and they say, I feel like God's calling me to move and it's time for me to, you know, make a life pivot. And that's my next step. I was like, that's great. Somebody else came up and they said, I know what my next step is. I said, what is that? They said, I don't pray. I would say that I believe in God, but I actually don't talk to him. So I'm going to get up early, starting tomorrow, and I'm going to pray every day. I'm just going to meet with Jesus first and talk. You know what I said? That's amazing. Whatever your next step is, don't leave here without asking the Lord, Lord, I want to follow you. What's the next step? And that's all the Christian life is. It's one step after another growing in relationship with Jesus. It's being obedient to what you already know. Okay, the next thing I want to look at, and it's going to take me a little bit of work, is what does all this text say about Jesus? As we go through John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51, there are nine different things that are said about Jesus. So we'll pull them all out. The first is, Jesus is the Lamb of God. So John the baptizer standing there, Jesus walks by, he tells all of his followers, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. For the Jewish people, this would have immediately reminded them of their big holiday, Passover. Right, I hit it last week, I'll hit it briefly this week. How many of you have heard of Passover? Have you got Jewish friends that celebrate Passover? You're like, what is that? Well, way back in the Old Testament, the second book of the Bible, Exodus, God's people were held in bondage and slavery under a bad king named Pharaoh who was worshiped as a God and he enslaved God's people, a nation of a few million. He mistreated them and God wanted to deliver them so that they could be free to worship him. But because God is so loving, so gracious, so compassionate, so merciful, so kind, he gave ample opportunity for the entire nation, starting with the Pharaoh down, to have a change of heart and mind and to come into alignment with the real God. Some of you know the story. It says on occasion that Pharaoh, the leader, hardened his heart. On some occasions, it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And the question is, which is it? Do we harden our own heart or does God harden our heart? God hardened Pharaoh's heart through love, grace, mercy, kindness, and patience. The Puritans used to say that the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. If your heart is ice, God's love will melt it. If your heart is clay, God's love will bake it. Rather than saying, I'm not the real God, I need to listen to the real God, Pharaoh and the Egyptians said, we are in authority, God is not, we will not obey God, we will prove God wrong, and they declared war on God. And so God sent a succession of plagues, one thing after the next, just sort of turning up the volume. Listen, pay attention, this is serious. And it culminates through Moses, God's servant, preaching the last plague, the killing of the firstborn. And there's a death angel. You need to know this. Some of you are spiritual, you like angels, you believe in angels. You need to understand there's a death angel. And the death angel comes to bring death to every firstborn male child in every home in Egypt. The only place that death does not come is where a lamb was slain. That's the Passover. That they would take a lamb without spot or blemish, showing sinless perfection, 
the family would confess their sins over the animal. It was a substitute. They're now seeing their sins imputed or reckoned to this animal who's a sacrificial substitute. That animal, though innocent, is then slaughtered. Their blood is shed in the place of the guilty sinner. All of this is an act of faith. The blood of the lamb is then literally used to paint the door posts and entryway to the home. So as the death angel comes, the death angel comes to every home in the nation of Egypt, bringing death to every firstborn male son, with one exception, those who are covered by the blood of the lamb. Those who are covered by the blood of the lamb. And they are spared. And the death angel does not visit that home. And they have life and redemption. This set in motion the Passover. And all of that was to prepare for the coming of whom? Jesus. And John says, there he is, our biggest holiday every year. We've been wondering when the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world would show up. Hey guys, there he is. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's Jesus. If you're here, here's what you need to know. The death angel is coming for you, my friend. He wants you to die and to experience eternal death. And the only way that your sins are forgiven is simply if you are covered by the blood of the lamb. His name is Jesus Christ. He is without sin, spot, blemish, defect of any sort or kind, that he has God become man, that he went to the cross, that he substituted himself for you, that he suffered and died in your place for the forgiveness of your sins and your reconciliation in relationship to God. And the death angel will literally pass over you if you follow him. And the last step of your life on earth will be the best step you've ever taken because it's your final step into your eternal destiny to meet Jesus who loves you so much that he died for you and rose to go before you to prepare a place for you for you. Amen. That's our Jesus. You should get more excited. This is crazy. I don't know. You, let me just say, you can give feedback. You could say, amen. Yes. The, the weirdest feedback I ever got, I was preaching at a bar during happy hour and a drunk guy kept yelling chicken wings. I'll even, I'll even take that. Okay. <laughs> I'll take anything. Okay. This is not a librarians for Christ meeting. Okay. This is not. This is church. We learn about Jesus. And if later on you're going to get excited because your team takes a dead pig over a chalk line, you can get excited that God loves you. Okay. You can just do that. Something to pray about. Okay. Okay. He also, we learn in here too, that Jesus is rabbi. What does that mean? Teacher, teacher. And here's firstly what that means. We got a lot to learn. We're born on the earth. We don't know anything. Everything we know, we got to learn from somebody. Jesus comes to teach us. And the first thing that we need to understand then is the only way you can learn anything is to be humble. We don't know everything. Let me say this as well. The primary way that Rabbi Jesus teaches, he's a Bible teacher. He teaches the Bible. He teaches us through the Bible. That's what he does. So that means you need to be in God's word and God's word needs to be in you so that Jesus can be your rabbi teacher. Now, let me say this. The world that we're in has a real conflict with this book. It just does, okay? It just does. And and what happens is 
People will read this book and they'll find things they disagree with. Then the question is simply this. Do we edit this book or change our mind? See, our culture keeps saying, edit that book. Actually, I had this debate with Piers Morgan on CNN some years ago. I brought him a study Bible, gave it to him. And we're, we're debating on CNN. He's like, well, there's just some stuff in the Bible that people disagree with. Why can't we make some changes? Why can't I make some changes? Because I'm, I'm not the author. I didn't write this book. God isn't looking for editors. He's looking for messengers. It's not like God's in heaven going, well, I wrote a book, but all these people took their pants off and now they disagree. And so I feel like we need to have a revised version where they can all keep their pants off. That's not how this works. That's not how this, and I'm not making this up. Most theological problems are moral problems. The guy at the end of the day who's got you naked probably interpreted the Bible wrong, right? That's, that's just how it usually ends up. But we live in a crazy world where people wanna do whatever they want and when they, they wanna go to God and they wanna say, God, you know what? You said some stuff, but I disagree with you, so you need to change your mind. God's like, actually, I was thinking you should be the one to change your mind. Because we live in a world where people want God to change his mind. God wrote this book to change our mind. Here's what this means. If you disagree with the book, you're wrong. That was very clear. You're welcome. Okay, if you disagree with the book, you're wrong. You're wrong. And that God speaks, we listen. Jesus is the teacher, we're the student. If we disagree, we need not be conformed to the pattern of this world. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we need to think God's thoughts after him. And here's what I would tell you. Don't believe everything you think. Jesus is your rabbi teacher. How many of you, the longer you walk with Jesus, you've changed your mind on some stuff. That's what happens. Let Jesus be your teacher. And if you disagree with him, don't expect him to rewrite his book. Invite him to rewire your mind. Okay? How about this one? They call him the Messiah, the Christ. And they go, we found the Messiah, we found the Christ. This means the anointed one. It said repeatedly hundreds of years prior, I can't get into it all. In the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, one is coming, one is coming, one is coming with the spirit. He's gonna have the powerful presence of God, the Holy Spirit. He'll have unmatched, unparalleled, unequaled, unprecedented spiritual authority. He will be filled with the spirit. He will be led by the spirit. He's the anointed one. He's the chosen one. What they say is he's here. Look at that, there's Jesus, he's finally here. We've been waiting for him for so long. And there he is, perfect, filled with the spirit, God among us, none like him, none equal to him, none alongside of him. He is Messiah or Christ. And then they, they call him the fulfillment of scripture. This one for me is so exciting. This is so awesome. Here's what they say. They say, uh, we have found the one of whom Moses and the law and the prophets also wrote. They're Jewish boys. They're like, remember when we were growing up, mom made us read the Torah? Yep. Remember we would go to class and they'd make us read the Torah? Remember the Old Testament? Yeah. Remember they kept saying, somebody's coming, somebody's coming, somebody's coming, somebody's coming. We're just like, where is he? He's here. The one we've been studying for, the one we've been longing for, the one we've been waiting for. He's finally here. And they're saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of scripture. Here's what I want you to know. This book is only rightly understood when it's all about Jesus. Okay, so you, some of you wanna know, you're like, what's the Bible? I got one guy clapping in the back. I'll take a humble beginning, brother, I'm with you. <laughs> Put him up, both hands up, man. May your tribe increase. I hope it starts the wave. We're gonna start right there, brother. That ultimately, 
Some of you be like, I don't understand the Bible. The key is to understand that the Bible is about Jesus and start and end with him. So let me give you some examples. Sometimes it's prophecy. When the Bible was written, 25% of the Bible was prophetic in nature, meaning it was predicting in advance future events largely around the personal work of Jesus. He's gonna be born of a virgin in Bethlehem before the temple is destroyed in 70 AD. Narrow the list down. That's prophecy. Prophecy was preparing God's people for God's coming. Sometimes there are what they call Christophanies. The son of God comes down for a little sneak peek cameo appearance. So Jesus walked with Abraham. Jesus came down and wrestled with Jacob. Jesus came down to hang out and talk to Moses through the burning bush. Jesus came down to hang out with Daniel while he's suffering. And Jesus comes down to call Isaiah into ministry. Prophecy is where the Bible predicts the future coming of Jesus. Christophany is where Jesus just sort of drops down for a a little appearance to let us know that he's ultimately coming. And the third category, there are types that point and foreshadow to the forthcoming of Jesus. So like in 1 Corinthians, I think it's 15, 45, and around Romans 5, 12 through 21, it talks about Jesus as the second or last Adam. So there's this typology between Adam and Jesus, the last Adam. So the first Adam sinned in a garden. And the last Adam is suffering in a garden as he prepares to atone for our sin. The first Adam sinned at a tree. The second Adam atoned for our sin on a cross or a tree. The first Adam was naked and unashamed. We stripped the last Adam nearly naked and he died for our shame. The first Adam brought thorns and thistles and the last Adam wore a crown of thorns and thistles. The first Adam brought condemnation and death and the last Adam brings salvation and life that Jesus is the greater Adam. When you see a priest, you remember Jesus is our great high priest. When you see our, a king in the Bible, you remember Jesus is our king of kings. When a prophet proclaims, you remind yourself that Jesus is a prophet of God, is the prophet of God and is the very word of God. When you see a shepherd tending to a flock, you remind yourself that Jesus, our good shepherd, lays down his life for the sheep. When you read the Bible and you hear about a judge who renders a verdict, you remind yourself that Jesus is the judge of us all and we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ for an eternal verdict. This includes like service. So there's a guy named Abel in the Old Testament. He is innocent and slaughtered by his guilty brother. Jesus is the greater Abel, who is innocent and is slaughtered by his guilty brothers. Abraham left his father's home so that there could be salvation. Jesus is the greater Abraham, leaves his father's heavenly home to relocate to earth for our salvation. There is a guy named Isaac. He is a beloved firstborn son, and he carries wood on his own back to come to the place where he would willingly lay down his life for his father. And Jesus comes as the greater Isaac, willing to lay down his life and carries his own wood, the cross on his own back. There's a guy named Jacob who wrestled with God. And then Jesus comes as the greater Jacob, wrestling for God's will in his life in the garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross. There is a guy named Joseph who is betrayed, abandoned, thrown in a pit 
and left for dead by his jealous brothers, he ascends out of that hole to a kingly position, ruling and reigning from the right hand of him who is in authority, forgives them and brings salvation to the nation. Jesus is the greater Joseph. He was thrown in a deeper hole. He was betrayed by worse brothers. He was falsely accused. He got out of that pit. He ascended to the right hand. He forgives those who have murdered him. And he brings salvation, not just to a nation, but to all the nations, because Jesus is the greater Joseph. Along comes Moses, who is an unlikely leader. He is a proclaimer and prophet of God and a deliverer of God's people. Jesus comes as the greater Moses, proclaiming the word of God and liberating God's people, not just from slavery to Pharaoh, but to Satan and demons and sin and death so that we can be free to worship him because Jesus is the greater Moses. There's a guy named Job who is innocent and he suffers unjustly demonic, satanic attack, and he remains devoted to the Lord through his suffering, and God uses him as a picture of the greater Jesus who undergoes satanic, demonic attack, and just like Job, didn't get any help from his friends, but went through it alone because he has integrity that is unprecedented because Jesus is the greater Job. Along comes a guy named David who is a shepherd boy and he becomes a king. He comes from humble beginnings to rule and reign over a kingdom. Jesus comes as a descendant of David, as the greater David. He rules up to lead a greater kingdom and to be a greater shepherd, not just of sheep, but of souls. Along comes a guy named Jonah who spends three days and three nights in the belly of a fish and comes forth to bring salvation to a multitude. Jesus is the greater Jonah, spends not just three days and three nights in a fish, but three days and three nights in a grave. And he comes forth to bring salvation to the nations because Jesus is a greater Jonah. There's a guy named Boaz who's in the family line of Jesus. He takes a rejected outcast woman named Ruth that he is not obligated to. He redeems her. He loves her. He cares for her. And he builds a family with her. And Jesus comes along as his descendant, the greater Boaz, who takes his bride, the church, as his own, purchases us, us from slavery and redemption and poverty and gives us an eternal inheritance because Jesus is the greater Boaz and the church of Jesus Christ is the greater Ruth. Along comes a guy named Nehemiah, builds a city called Jerusalem as a home for God's presence and God's people. Jesus comes along as a greater Nehemiah and he is building for us, not just a Jerusalem, but a new Jerusalem that will come down from heaven as a place of God's presence to dwell forever with God's people because Jesus is the greater Nehemiah. And lastly, there's a guy in the Bible named Hosea. He marries a rebellious, wayward, wicked, unfaithful woman. He keeps loving her, forgiving her, pursuing her, redeeming her, showing that Jesus is coming as the greater and he is coming to redeem us. He is coming to pursue us. He is coming to love us because even when we are faithless, he is, he is faithful. I testify he is faithful. This whole book is about Jesus. This book brings the life and the love and the truth and the help and the hope and the healing of Jesus. 
And when Jesus show up, they say, we've been reading about him, but now we meet him. We were invited to follow him, but now we will follow him. Ultimately, my dear friend, I am so excited for you. God wants to speak with you. God wants to teach you. God wants to meet with you. God wants a relationship with you. God wants to walk with you. And God wants that to never end. A couple other things he has to say. It's a great list. We're over time. Doesn't matter. All right. It says that he is the son of Joseph. This means that though he had no earthly father, Joseph served as his adoptive earthly father. If you love foster kids, if you are adopting kids, you're following in the example of Jesus who was adopted by Joseph. This means he lived as a human being on the earth. God became a man. He had a mom. He had a dad. He had to learn to read and write and grow in wisdom, stature, and favor. He's also the son of God. When Jesus says he is the son of God, it says 124 times in the New Testament, he's the son of God. 165 times Jesus says that God is his father. They come to him and they go to put him to death. Jesus says, I've done a lot of great miracles. Why are you trying to kill me? They say, it's not because of what you do. It's because of what you say. You keep saying that God is your father and you are the son of God. You're making yourself equal with God. And he is, he is exactly saying that. He is equal to the Father. He shares all the divine attributes and authority because Jesus alone is the Son of God. They also call him the King of Israel. You've got the nation of Israel. Over them is ruling the Roman Empire. And the debate is, well, do we stay aligned to our Israeli leaders or the Roman leaders? And what they're saying is above all is Jesus. He's over every king. He's over every kingdom. He's over every nation. He's over every politician. Wherever your residence is, your citizenship is ultimately under that king. His name is Jesus. He also is called here the ladder of heaven. Some of you will hear it called the stairway of heaven in the Led Zeppelin song that ruined the whole thing. And the big idea in Genesis 28 is God is in heaven, somebody's on earth, and there is a ladder. We don't go up to God, God comes down to us. Jesus is that ladder. Jesus is how heaven comes down to us. And when we die, how we go up to heaven. And then he closes, we are told that he is the son of man. This is Jesus' favorite designation for himself. He calls himself the son of man roughly 80 times in the four gospels. The son of man is taken from Daniel chapter 7. The promise is given hundreds of years prior that he's coming. He's coming. A king with a kingdom. It says it this way. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. With the clouds of heaven, there came one like the son of man. He came to the ancient of days. That is God the father and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations, all languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. The promise was given. The king is coming. The kingdom is coming. And my dear friend here at the Trinity Church, this is so important for you to understand. There's only two ways to live your life. Culture up or kingdom down. Culture up. We live in a world that is having parades for things that we should be having funerals for. We are proud of things that we should be ashamed of. That we are doing things that we should stop doing. That we are believing things that we should stop believing. That these are not the ways of Jesus. This is not what the followers of Jesus believe. This is not how the followers of Jesus behave. Let me tell you this. Your culture, every culture will come to an end. And ultimately the kingdom of God will come down. 
that our king right now is ruling and reigning, that our king is alive and well, that our king is bringing his kingdom to this earth. And when our king comes, anything that is disobedient and disregarding of that king and that kingdom will pass away. That ultimately Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We live our lives, dear friend, kingdom down, not culture up. Some of you here today, you need to know that this may be your citizenship, but ultimately your eternal citizenship is in God's kingdom. That means that today, this is merely your residence. But when Jesus comes, that's your eternal destiny. I want you to start to think, behave, believe as citizens of the kingdom, as ultimate allegiance to the king. And let me say this as well. I have so much joy for you, so much hope for you. I'm so excited for you because I know who you will be when Jesus is done with you. You're gonna be the perfect you, the forgiven you, the healed you, the redeemed you, the free you, the full you, the true you. That's who you really are. That's where you really be. So because Jesus is our king, what we say is, since that's where I'm going to be, I want to start to live for that kingdom. Since that is who I ultimately and eternally will be, that's who I want to start being today. And I want to start following Jesus. I want to put old things behind me, new things before me, one thing at a time. What do you got next, Lord Jesus? What do you got next? What do you got next? When do I get home? When do I get home? Amen? All right, so we're going to worship. We're going to take communion, remembering Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You're going to step forward, and that's how you begin following him. We're going to sing and celebrate. I'll invite the band up. Let me say this. You're the band. The band doesn't perform for you. We're the band. We all perform for him. Amen? We're all here. You're all part of the band. You're all part of the band. So we're going to sing and celebrate, because you know what? Ultimately, worship is what God's people will be doing together forever in the kingdom. Amen? And so we're going to gather in God's presence. We're going to be God's people. We're going to sing God's praises. Father God, as we get our hearts ready for worship, as we get our souls ready for worship, as we get our minds ready for worship, God, we invite you to be here in our midst. We invite the king and the kingdom in this place. Lord God, we come to celebrate the person and work of Jesus. For those, Lord God, who need to take a first step, I pray they take it today. For those who have a next step to take, I pray they take it today. And Lord Jesus, thank you that you have pursued us, that you have loved us, that you've revealed yourself to us. Thank you that this world is passing away and that our King is coming. And Lord Jesus, until we see you, may we follow you in your good name. Amen.